topics, as you've already noticed, and that's a good thing. And uh, we preach out of the King James Version of the Bible. That's another plus. We're thankful for that. When the Lord called me to preach many years ago, I promised that I would preach His Word because that's all I had to preach was the Word of God, the Bible. I felt like I needed it every Sunday I stand before this church and other churches that I need to be reminded of what's in this book. That's, that's our textbook. But also you are to be reminded of what's in the textbook. So I hope you will follow along with our message today and I want you to turn with me to the Old Testament, the book of Chronicles. And since there are two Chronicles, we'll designate number one, First Chronicles chapter number 29. First Chronicles chapter number 29. Those of you who are members of this church, and of course we're grateful for the visitors as always, those of you who are members of this church understand the statement that I am about to make. I have had perhaps one of the most difficult times for the last six months as pastor of this church, wanting to do so much and not able to do so much. And uh, I love to stand when I preach and I found out I couldn't stand too well. And then I told our men, some of our men, that I was a little leery about getting from point A, which was the platform, down to point B, which is the floor, without taking a spill. And so they put in these rails here. I don't know if any member of our church appreciates them, but I tell you, I appreciate them. But it's been difficult. I'm not complaining. I'm saying it's just one of those times in life and if you live long enough, there are going to be some times when it gets tough. It's going, to be, it's going to be difficult sometimes. And the thing that has kept me going more than anything else is what I'm going to preach to you about today. And that is the sovereignty of God. Somebody's in charge and he's not coming out of Washington, D.C. The book of First Chronicles, chapter 29, and I've chosen verses 10 through 13. Wherefore David blessed the Lord before all the congregation. And David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all. And in thine hand is power and might, and in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Now therefore, our God, we thank thee 
and praise thy glorious name. I want to speak on the subject of the sovereignty of God. A proclamation of the sovereignty of God. The most misunderstood doctrine in the Bible is sanctification. The most difficult doctrine in the Bible is the incarnation. The most debated doctrine in the Bible is the atonement. The most joyful doctrine is the Holy Spirit. The most humbling doctrine is depravity. The most needed doctrine is salvation. The most neglected doctrine is prayer. The most anticipated doctrine is glorification. The most avoided doctrine is predestination. And the biggest doctrine in the Bible, in my opinion, is the sovereignty of Almighty God. The sovereignty of Almighty God. This 29th chapter of 1 Chronicles is so good in that it reminds us of how sovereign God is and who God is. We seemingly live in a day and seemingly we live in a time when most folks have put God on a shelf and they've exalted man, who man is and what man can do. And in that direction they try to humanize God. No, God is God Almighty. And the scriptures very cleanly set him forth. But in this 29th of 1 Chronicles, David, the king of Israel, is transferring the authority of the kingdom over to his son Solomon. Now that was very important because in that, one thing David wanted to do as long as he was king was to build the Lord a house, to build the Lord a temple. He raised the question in one particular location that we build our homes and we build fine homes and we build comfortable homes, but we got a little old tent out here, a little old squall of a place, and we call that the house of God. No, David said, I want to build God a house. But in the midst of wanting to do that, God reminded David he would never let him build the house. He said, I want your son Solomon to build the house. And one day when you're dead, your son Solomon is going to be king over Israel. And that is borne out so clearly, not only in the 29th of 1 Chronicles, but in chapter number 28, it begins in that chapter by saying, David assembled all the princes of Israel, the princes of the tribes, the captains of the companies, no telling how many hundreds of thousands gathered together for this announcement. And in verse 2, then David the king stood up on his feet and said, Hear me, my brethren and my people. As for me, I had in my heart 
to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God and had made ready for the building. But God said unto me, Thou shalt not build a house for my name because thou hast a man, been a man of war and hast shed blood. And in verse 5, All the sons of the Lord hath given me many sons. He hath chosen Solomon, my son, to sit upon the throne of Israel, of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. And in that same 29th chapter, 28th chapter, verse 9, And you, Solomon, my son, Know that the God of thy father and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind for the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations and the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee, but if you forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. Take heed now, for the Lord hath chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. Be strong and do it. And you pick up that thought in the 29th chapter when David begins to tell the people what he has invested in the cost of such a building that will be built for his glory, the honor and glory of the Lord. Furthermore, David the king said unto the congregation, Solomon, my son, whom alone God hath chosen, is yet young and tender. And the work is great, for the palace is not for the man, but for the Lord God. And David said, you know what? I've been preparing with all of my might for this house of God. The material that we were going to put in it, the rooms we were going to put in it, and how much money it was going to cost so what I wanted to do would be a leader in what we're going to give to meet the financial need of building a building like this. So in verse number 3 of chapter 29, David continues, Because I've set my affection to the house of my God, I have of mine own proper good of gold and silver, which I've given to the house of my God over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house. Not only did David prepare financially for the furnishing of the house of the Lord, he also prepared for the building of the house of the Lord. And if you'll notice carefully in verses 3 through 5, David tells us what he personally invested in the house of God that Solomon would build. In verse 5, even 3,000 talents of gold, of the gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver to overlay the walls of the houses wherewithal. The gold for things of gold, the silver for things that are silver, for all manner of work to be made by the hands of artificers, and who then is willing to consecrate his service this day unto the Lord? Not only is David giving out of his own pocket, he said, I want to know if Israel is behind me in this. Do we need to take a vote on it? How much are you willing to give 
to take care of the needs of the house of God. By the way, David's personal giving in verses 3 through 5, a talent of gold, just a talent of gold is $30,000. He's going to give 3,000 talents of gold, which amounts to $90 million in gold. And then he's, in addition to that, going to give a talent of silver, which was $2,000 a talent. And he's going to give 7,000 talents of silver. That would amount to 14 million more dollars. But then he mentions it to Israel and says, what are you willing to give? Did you know what? That's how this church was built. That's how this church was built. We started out over 40 years ago. And I said, I, I don't have a whole lot and I'm not wealthy and I'm not rich or anything like that, but I want to have a part in what we're going to do and what God's going to do in Grace Baptist Church of Tyler. And there were people in the church and they too shared that burden and they began to give. And it was a constant giving unto the Lord. But you know, when Israel began to give, you find that in verses 6 through 9. Then the chief of the fathers of the princes of the tribes of Israel and the captains of thousands and of hundreds with the rulers of the king's work, they offered willingly. They said, we'd love to have a part in this. And gave for the service of the house of God of gold 5,000 talents and 10,000 drams and of silver 10,000 talents, and of brass 18,000 talents, and 100,000 talents of iron. Now when you read what Israel gave, a talent of gold is $30,000. They gave 5,000 talents of gold. That's $150 million dollars. And they gave one talent of silver, which is 2,000, but they did it 10,000 times. They gave 10,000 talents, and that was 20 more million dollars. Now, if that doesn't rack your brain, add what David gave to what Israel gave, and the total yield came to 270 four million dollars to build the Lord a house. David said in verse 14, but who am I? What are these people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? For all things come of thee and of thine own have we given thee. What does that mean? David said the only reason we're able to give anything is you gave it to us. And when you gave it to us, we decided to give it back to you. What does sovereignty mean? If we had a text, it would be verse 11. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory 
and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. What does sovereignty mean in relationship to God? We talk about the sovereignty of, oh, I believe in the sovereignty of God. Most evangelicals claim to believe in God's sovereignty, but they really don't. They believe that God is the chairman, but he can be overthrown by the floor. They believe that God is president, but uh, he needs Congress to endorse his actions. They believe that God is the prime minister, but he can do nothing without parliament. Sovereignty means that God is absolute monarch and ruler and does exactly what he pleases. Sovereignty means that God is supreme. He's above all. Sovereignty means that God is God. All else is dust. Sovereignty means that God is independent. He needs nobody. Sovereignty means that God does not try to do anything. He just does it. Sovereignty means that God does not wish for something. If he wishes for something, he just creates it. Mr. Spurgeon preached on divine sovereignty at his church over in England, May the 4th, 1856, and I wanted to share what he included in that message back then. Quote, he says, There is no attribute of God more comforting to his children than the doctrine of divine sovereignty. Under the most adverse circumstances, in the most severe troubles, they believe that sovereignty has ordained their afflictions, that sovereignty overrules them, and that sovereignty will sanctify them all. There's nothing for which the children of God ought more earnestly to contend than the dominion of their master over all creation, the kingship of God over all the works of his own hands, and the throne of God and his right to sit on that throne. He continues, gets a little better. On the other hand, there's no doctrine more hated by worldlings. No truth of which they have made such a football as the great stupendous doctrine of infinite Jehovah. Men will allow God to be everywhere except on his throne. Let me repeat that one. Men will allow God to be everywhere except on his throne. They will allow him to be in his workshop to fashion worlds and to make stars. They will allow him to be in his almondry to dispense his alms and bestow his bounties. 
They will allow him to sustain the earth and bear up the pillars thereof or even light the lamps of heaven or rule the waves of the ever-moving ocean. But when God ascends his throne, his creatures then gnash their teeth. And when we proclaim and enthrone God and his right to do as he wills with his own, to dispose of his creatures as he thinks well without consulting them in the matter, then it is that we are hissed and execrated. And then it is that men will turn a deaf ear to us. And he closes the statement with this. For God on the throne is not the God they love. God who is on the throne is not the God that they love. What are we talking about the sovereignty of God? His word proclaims his sovereignty. You cannot read your Bible without running into the sovereignty of God. It is taught over and over and over again. His word proclaims his sovereignty. In Exodus chapter 15 verse 18, The Lord shall reign forever and ever. I'm not going to, and you're not going to, but he's going to. Elihu spoke to Job in Job 33, 13. He said, Job, why do you strive against God? For he giveth not account of any one of his matters. When's the first time anything happened to you? And the first thing you see, God, why'd you do this? What did he say? Ron Crisp says God doesn't do questions. He's absolutely right. God doesn't do questions. In Psalm 22, verse number 28, for the kingdom of the Lord's, and he is the governor among the nations. Boy, that blows the Democrats and Republicans clear out of the matter. In Psalm 95, verse 3, For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. My dear friends, there's no telling how many thousands of gods there are that claim the attention and worship of people. In Psalm 22, number 28, and Psalm 103, verse 19 The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens and his kingdom ruleth over all. Are you paying attention to this? Huh? What about my free will? I didn't find it. In Psalm 115 verse 3, Our God is in the heavens and he hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Proverbs 16, verse 4, The Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. Well, you can chew that one all day, can't you? In Isaiah chapter 46, verses 10 and 11, Remember the former things of old, 
For I am God and there's none else. I am God and there's none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will do all of my pleasure. In Daniel chapter 4 verse 35, all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. Nobody. If you can tell me what is in President Joe Biden's head, I can tell you how little God is. Joe knows nothing. He was born knowing nothing. And everybody wants him to be the Presidente. That means we don't know nothing. You're welcome. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? Not only does the word of God set forth the sovereignty of God, but his names plural. His name set forth the sovereignty of God. God has many names and they all speak of his majesty. They speak of his character. They tell us who he is. One of the first names of God you run into is the Hebrew term Elohim. E-L-O-H-I-M. Elohim. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The word in the Hebrew Elohim means the God who creates and it, the God who is the strong one. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. We do not believe in theistic evolution in this church. We believe that God made it. God created it and he created it out of nothing in Psalm 135, verses 5 through 7. Psalm 135, verses 5 through 7. To him that by wisdom made the heavens. Pardon me, that's number 6. Psalm 135, 5 through 7. For I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did he in heaven and in earth, in the seas and in all deep places. He causeth, for this is good, he causeth the vapors, V-A-P-O-U-R-S in the King James, he causeth the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He maketh lightnings for the rain, and he bringeth the wind out of his treasuries. Devil, dawn on you where all this wind's been coming from lately? Out of the treasuries. Although he brings it out of the treasuries. And not only that reference, but in Psalm 147, verses 15 through 18. Psalm 147 Verses 15 
through 18. I believe that is, that is correct. Psalm 147, 15 through 18. The Bible says this, He sendeth forth His commandment upon earth. His word runneth very swiftly. That means the angels have to put it in high gear. When God sends them to do something, they don't dilly-dally around and they don't take time for a coffee break. The angels do what God tells them to do and they do it instantly, swiftly. Hey, I love this. He giveth snow like wool. He scattereth the hoarfrost like ashes. He casteth forth his ice like morsels. Who can stand before his cold? He sendeth out his word and melteth them. He causeth his wind to blow and the waters to flow. He even manufactures evaporation. We're talking about the God of the Bible. We're talking about the God of this book. One of his names is Elohim. He is the strong one. And not only that, but there's a reference that calls him in Genesis 17, verse number 1. He's El Shaddai. That's S-H-A-D-D-A-I. El Shaddai, meaning the Almighty God. The God who blesses. And then his name is also Adonai, A-D-O-N-A-I. Adonai, Lord. He's the God who owns and the God that governs. In Genesis 15, verse 2, he's called Adonai, Jehovah. He's called the Lord God. And then his last name, most revered name, non-communicative name is Jehovah. Jehovah, the self-existent one. Psalm 83, verse 18. I have no idea the depth of this. I can only read it for your hearing. But in Psalm 83, 18, God lives out of himself. He lives off of himself. Most of us are here today because at some point in time in our life, we lived off somebody else. We lived off the old man and the old lady. Or we lived off friends. Or we lived off this. Or we lived off that. God never lives off of anybody else but himself. He lives off of himself. He's a sovereign God. That verse in Psalm 83, 18 says that men may know that thou whose name alone is Jehovah art the most high above all the earth. So his names proclaim his sovereignty. And then number three, his attributes proclaim his sovereignty. God is a God of many virtues. He is a God of many attributes. Perhaps the three most famous attributes in most churches that hear anything about a subject like this would be omnipresence, omniscience, and omnipotence. God is omnipresent. That means he's everywhere. And he's everywhere at the same time. 
Have you tried that? Well, we got people driving cars tried every day out here on Old Jackson Highway. They haven't quite learned to cut it yet. Omnipresence. In Psalm 139, and this is where we find a very pre precious passage of Scripture. In Psalm number 139, he speaks of God's omnipresence. That is correct. Omnipresence. Beginning with verse number 10, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? David is speaking now. He said, How can I get away from the Lord? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there thy hand shall lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. I am here. I am there. I am everywhere. That's God. I'm here. I'm there. And I am everywhere. That's his omnipresence. But omniscience is set forth in the earlier verses of 139 of Psalm. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Nobody knows me like the Lord knows me. Nobody knows you like the Lord knows you. He knows exactly everything there is to know about you. Because before you were ever made, he planned to make you. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting. <laughs> He's getting a little, uh, a little practical here. He knows every time I sit down. And mine uprising, he knows every time I sit down, every time I get up. He understandeth my thought afar off. Now get that. Before the thought even comes to me, he knows what the thought is and when it's going to register on my brain. Did you know that? Somebody said, well, where would you get an idea like that? Most likely, we get it from our depraved, fallen self, or we get it from God Almighty before we even know it, even the thoughts. There's not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high and I cannot attain unto it. There's no way in the world I can fathom the omniscience and the omnipresence of Almighty God. And then omnipotence. He's all-powerful. Omnipotent. Omnipotence. He cannot sin. God never makes a mistake. Everything that God does is absolutely right. He cannot fail. He cannot put his hand to doing something and then give out and have to give up on it and cannot accomplish it. He cannot change. He cannot be better tomorrow than he was today, nor can he be less tomorrow than what he is right now because he cannot change 
He's able to do everything he wants to do. He cannot get sick. He cannot die. He cannot be forced. And he cannot be stopped. Somebody said, I think what we need to do is to let God have his way. Honey, he will. Whether you like it or whether the government of the world likes it, God's going to have his way. He's going to have his will. And now then, this will get your attention maybe. His decrees perform his sovereignty. When God decrees a thing, it's going to happen as God said it would happen. Whatever God decrees will come to pass, and none can stop it. When the angel told the Virgin Mary how Jesus Christ would be born, she said, how can this be? I'm a virgin. I've never known man. How can it be? No problem for the Lord. He did exactly what he said. And he told Abraham's wife she was going to have a baby. And she said, but you don't understand. I'm 90 years old now. I can't have a baby. God said, get ready. Get the nursery ready. You're going to have a baby. God just didn't take into consideration, my dear friends, the different things that she'd be facing why she could, could have a miscarriage when you're that old and start having babies. Watch out. It'd be impossible for it, but it happened exactly like God said. Whatever God decrees comes to pass. If God has decreed this year to be the year of your death, let me see how you stop that. If God has decreed the sun to rise in the east and set in the west, see if you can change that up a little bit. Let me know how you get with it. His providence proclaims his sovereignty. One of the verses that has been such a comfort to me in my entire life as a believer is Romans 8, 28. We know, and we know, that all things work together for good to those that love the Lord, to those who are the called according to his purpose. We can depend on that. It would take somebody awfully smart, and I speak as a fool using the language of a fool, it would take somebody awfully smart to know how to work everything to make it all turn out right. But it will. But it will. Only one who is sovereign could make everything that happens to a Christian come out for his best. But you don't understand, I had this, I had that. I know God's in charge of that. And he knows how to, to bring it about, and he always knows how to bring you through it and bring me through it. And then finally, his creation proclaims his sovereignty. His creation blame proclaims his sovereignty in a split second of time 
God created the entire universe. Think of that. But reduce your thinking just a little bit about, just suppose he just meant the earth. If he doesn't, he means everything. He made everything. But if all he made was the earth, have you ever thought about the earth, how we got it? 25,000 miles in circumference, 8,000 miles in diameter, if you cut through it. If you could place it on a scale, it would weigh 6.6 sextillion tons. That's a thousand times a million times a million and times a million more. God did all that. Ain't God good? He knows what he's doing. We serve a mighty big God. And I'm here to tell you today, he's proclaimed in the Bible as being the Lord God. He is, and there's no competition or anything that God cannot do. He does what he wants to do. Well, why does he want to do so and so? Because it pleased him to do it. He's God. I hope you can be with us next Sunday. We will approach it from a little bit more personal uh, application of the sovereignty of God in salvation. How are we saved? Is it our doing or is it God's doing? Is it what we let God do or does God just does what he wants to do? He's sovereign. I hope you'll be with us for that service. Let's bow our hearts and our eyes and our heads before the Lord. Father in heaven, we gladly bow our knee to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And we bless.